everyone, welcome to another episode of Opposites React. It is June 16, 2021, episode 73. I am Sarah and I am here with Tyler. How are you? Pretty good, although I'm not in my normal chair because your cat won't get out of it, so I had to bring... I noticed another chair has entered my room. Kitchen chair in here. <laughs> not as comfortable, but I'll manage. Um, what are you up to? Natka. <laughs> you were playing a video game earlier. What are you been playing? Well, Torchlight 3, but that's for that's for streaming on Twitch, so... You're not going to finish it on your own? I will, on the okay. PS4, and then we'll finish it over on Xbox, and that's I how see. it will be. Other than, other than that, all we've been doing is watching Clarkson's Farm. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest, I haven't watched any new movies recently. There hasn't been anything new, like on the Cineplex store, or anything mm. really new added to Netflix or Amazon that I want to watch. There's still a lot of older stuff I need to go back and rewatch, but yeah, you're right. So lately, we've, we're have a couple episodes into that new the new series just came out on Amazon Prime. Uh, with Jeremy Clarkson, mm-hmm. who, for those who don't know, he's part of. Well, he was part of Top Gear back in the BBC days, and then it was the Grand Tour that series on Amazon, and now he's done his own little series here where he's running a farm. And it's actually quite. Uh, I was gonna say it's amusing. And it's also very informative. So yeah, far. I was gonna say some people don't love Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> he can come off as uh, pompous and uh, misogynistic. I would say are two words yep. that would. Uh, yeah, he's definitely he's, he's very old school British. That's yes. for sure. Yeah. Um, but this, I find, like I had, um, like I know how hard farming is, but now I, knowing like the ins and outs and like the absolute torture it is to run a farm is just like, and he's got a lot of and farm the to the run. Cost too. and the cost, like yeah. everything, like you don't know what the loss until it is, mm-hmm. like. Oh my gosh, so much! But two episodes in, it's I've learned a lot, so yeah. I'm glad. Yeah, so eight episodes, I think it is. Eight. They're, they're usually around 45, 50 minutes yeah. long. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a thing that obviously you could you could binge it if you wanted to, but for us, I think we like to space it out. And you like to? Yeah, I can watch like two episodes a day. I don't want to watch it all in like I one sitting. I can just sit there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't <laughs> absorb as much that way. No, same. Of... But it's done. I can move on. <laughs> to what? Move on to what do you want to watch? More, more Gilmore Girls. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, oh, we have an email, don't we? We do. All right. So this email comes from Daniel. Thanks for the email, Dan. I'm not sure how many times. It's probably, what, his third or fourth time emailing us? I, yeah, I, I think track, so. But yeah, awesome. We love it. So he says, hey, guys, loved this episode specifically because I think everyone has a genre that they want to play. He says, I think for me, I want to like and play more action-adventure uh, some examples he gave Red Dead Redemption, God of War, The Witcher, games like that, but I don't think they're going to hold me. He, Dan says, I played Red Dead on PS3 and I played 15 or 20 hours and I said to myself, what am I even doing? <laughs> so I gave up. I mean, to be fair, that's something you can say for a lot of Rockstar games. If you, um, I guess if, you, if, you're in, if you're in and out of playing it, it's very easy to lose track of where you are in those games or what you mm. were doing. And, you know, open world games like that, if you're not really on top of them a lot, can get a little overwhelming. So I understand that sentiment. Uh, he also says in the email, the only one I am playing currently is GTA 5, and that seems to be a slog fest for me right <laughs> now. I'll pop it in and play two hours and feel like I got nothing accomplished. Uh-huh. Again, that's fair. Like, if you're just kind of driving around the city, doing a bunch of side missions, especially in that game, because, like, you can be in the middle of a side quest or even a long story mission, and if you die, I don't think the checkpointing is very forgiving in that game, oh. so I can definitely see... Like, I remember in, when I played GTA 4, all I would do is go play bowling, and that's obvious. <laughs> that's not doing anything either, but it was still fun. Yeah. <laughs> So he finishes the email by saying, I need a recommendation to rebuild my confidence in action adventure, if that's what you would even call it. Thank you, he says in the email. So, uh, recommendation. Um, but is the problem the length of the game? Is the problem the story? Like, the, Because the games he mentioned are like 40-hour games, minimum. Right, right. 
So maybe they're just too long. What's a short action adventure game? Um, well, I guess I wouldn't call Last of Us action adventure no. necessarily. Um, I mean, the Uncharted games could fit that. No, those are bad gameplay. And they're that's slow. Your, that's your opinion. But they're slow. I mean, they're slow. They're slow. They have good stories story and they're not long. story and then gameplay and then story and then gameplay. Okay. I'm trying to think what else you could play on PlayStation. Um, I mean, again, like, yeah, you, you have your typical, like, your Call of Duty games are going to take you probably five to six hours to get yeah. through a campaign. But I'd say any type of action-adventure game nowadays, you're looking at, like, 15 hours tops, usually. Well, yeah, but the problem is with those, they used to not be that long, but now they've had them. Yeah. But again, yeah, if you're talking about, like, the Assassin's Creed games or something, those are definitely bad. But I was thinking the first few Assassin's Creed's were not like that. Right. Yeah, but again, I don't think he wants to go back and be playing PS3 games. He wants to get more recent examples of games to play on PS4. I'm trying to get them. They're remastered. Oh. Okay, what were the Resident Evil games then? The more recent, like like Resident Evil... Do you like horror? Then Resident Evil 7 was Resident Evil 7 was pretty good. It was only about 9 or 10 hours, I think. Yeah. Bioshock. Yeah, the Bioshock games are good. Yeah, those are both... But they're old. Well, like you said, there's a remaster collection on PS4 that you can play, <laughs> so there you go. I think Bioshock is a good amount of story, and even when they're giving you the story, you can still run around and do stuff. Yeah. So I don't know if I... Well, I guess, yeah, I guess you classify as action adventure. I think so. Okay. All right. Bioshock, I'm going to say then. Bioshock. Right. Best answer. Done. Good job. All right. Moving on to the topic of the week. Okay. You're on the mic. Yep. She's already... <laughs> she, she's going to sit back and chill because she's got nothing to say for the next, like, 15 minutes or so. And she already knows what this is going to be about, so she's going to roll her eyes at me. But mm-hmm. I can't... I. I want to talk about this. I've, I've probably mentioned this movie before on the podcast in some capacity, but never done like an in-depth sort of dive on it now. And the reason why I want to talk about this movie is that recently I watched a really cool like analysis video, I guess you want to call it, on YouTube. Um, and I'm going to give a shout out to the YouTube channel in a second here because I don't want to take any kind of credit for this thick theory, this film theory, because it's all about the, this guy did some great background research on the film and I'm going to give him all the credit for that. So the movie I'm going to talk about first is from 1996. And it's called The Rock. Now, the problem is that nowadays when you say The Rock, most people are going to assume you're talking about The Wrestler. Because <laughs> that's just, yeah. The Rock Johnson. But, I mean, back in that, so, and he probably was wrestling. I think he was, when did he start wrestling? He started wrestling back in the late 90s? I can't remember. But anyways, uh, The Rock 90s. was a movie that came out in 1996. It was directed by Michael Bay. It was only his second film. Because the first film he directed was, a year before that was Bad Boys with Will Smith. And then he did The Rock. So, he was a relatively unknown director. But he had a great cast. He had he had the perfect like honestly like even back when this movie came out, it had an amazing cast. And nowadays, when you watch it, there's still so many other like outside of the main trio of actors. It's called there's so many other character actors in the film that you recognize from other stuff or that all do a great job in a supporting role. But the main three actors, it, it probably in like billing order here, would be like Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, and Ed Harris. That's their main trio of actors in the film. Um, so this I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like explain the whole movie or anything. I'm sure most people have seen this movie in some at some point before, at least once. If you're like me and you've seen it like probably close to 60, 70 times, then yeah, you'll know what I'm talking about. But um, this movie also sort of kickstarted Nicolas Cage's action career because again, he was a he was sort of a known actor in the 90s. I mean, I mean, heck, in '95, the year before The Rock came out, he won an Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas, which is a movie where he played an alcoholic. Uh, what? We all know how Tyler loves his alcoholic movies. No, well, he was good in that movie. So, but my point is, so 96, 96 started off a great trend for him. Within within a three year span, in this order, he did The Rock, and then he did Con Air, and then he did Face Off, three great action films in a row. And that Face Off is awesome. 
so is Con Air. Don't be short on Con Air face now. Face Off is awesome. Okay, Face Off is awesome. I'll give you that. But, um, but yeah, The Rock was... So when people saw him in this role, people were like, oh, you know, because he was always thought of as kind of like a quirky actor at that point. Like, who's going to pull off an action role? He actually did a really good job in this film. I mean... You know, but had to it, pay for the pyramid somehow. Yeah, it, it helps when you're working next to Sean Connery, though. Mm. Who you know, and and like the reason why I love this movie so much too is I th- I see this as Sean Connery's last great role. He did a few more movies after this. I think he kind of like unofficially retired in like '03 or '04, but this I think was his last great role. Definitely his last great action role. He did a few more dramas after this. But this is his last time he actually got to like kick some butt like old school you know james bond mm. and that's how i'm going to segue into the theory here is that i recently saw this youtube video that blew me away because i've seen that like i said i've probably seen this movie no no joke like at least 60 or 70 times like when i was a kid i would wear the vhs wearing this thing mm. watching this thing sorry and um and then you know obviously when i got older i bought the dvd i only recently bought the blu-ray a few years ago so i would always just watch it on like netflix or whatever other streaming service it was on at the time or if it i mean i don't like watching it on tv because obviously on tv it's probably heavily edited and this movie is very R-rated, like very violent, a lot of swearing. Uh, like this movie could put Tarantino to shame with some <laughs> of the language. But anyways, uh, but like I said, so the reason why this channel caught my attention here, I'm going to pull it up so I don't butcher the name here. This was only posted a few days ago. Uh, the name of the YouTube channel is called Pen- Pentex Productions. So, so P- uh, P-E-N-T-E-X, Pentex Productions. They have a little penguin logo on their YouTube <laughs> channel. Um, but this guy's only been doing these analysis videos for like, I don't know, six months or so. He actually started off with the James Bond video and they did a few other movies. And But when he did The Rock, what he, by analyzing a bunch of old James Bond movies, he found a, and obviously this is all just a theory. This is not going to be, this is not obviously confirmed by the director or the screenwriter or anybody else, but it's a very interesting theory. And there's a lot of research went into thinking into the belief that in this movie, Sean Connery is playing James Bond, obviously under a, an alias or a codename. But the timelines in this film match up with where Bond's sort of career ended. Like his Bond's last film was in 1971, like when it came out. And the, the Bond movies all took place in the time they Bond were. Last film. Yeah, Sean Connery's last yeah. Bond film. There was another sort of unofficial Bond film that came out in like 87, I think it was, where he played James Bond again, but that wasn't part of the like Eon canon of James Bond films. It was like, because it, it was, I don't know, it was a, I'm not going to get into the details about that, but it's not classified as a main James Bond film. Even though, So for most people, Sean Connery's career ended in 1971 as James Bond when he did Diamonds Are Forever. Now, at the end of that movie, at the end of Diamonds Are Forever 1971, um, Sean Connery not Sean Connery. Well, Sean Connery and James Bond, I should say. The movie ends with him in San Francisco at the end of that movie, right? And that's where obviously most of this movie takes place because The Rock is a... The title is a codename for Alcatraz. The Alcatraz prison was codenamed The Rock. And, you know, as part of the movie, the, the so Sean Connery, Sean Connery plays a character named John Mason in the film, and he's apparently the only prisoner that ever escaped Alcatraz. That's the main sort of crux of his character in the screenplay when you first meet him. Um, now again, where the timelines match up, and I really encourage people to go watch this video. It's like a 20 minute video that this Pentex Productions guy made, but uh, it's really, really cool at sort of lo- like merging the timelines together and, and his theory for how in this movie he is actually playing James Bond. So like in this movie, um, Connery's character, John Mason, he gets arrested. Uh, he, he, he like Because in the movie, they, they don't make a point of really hiding this. If you, if you look at, even on the surface, the connections are there. Like Sean Connery's playing a British he was he was a, a British uh, secret agent who was arrested by the U.S. for trying to steal some microfilm from like President Hoover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that claimed that claimed, like, it was all like government secrets. One of the things they claimed would be on this microfilm was like the JFK assassination, like the actual film of what happened. So 
apparently Connery's character was trying to steal that for the British government, right? So in the movie, they classify Connery, or I keep saying Connery, they classify John Mason as being an SAS agent, MI6 operative. Both of like what not SAS and that doesn't match up with bomb, but the MI six definitely does because obviously 007 was part of MI six. SAS is is a is a designation of the what? Sorry, when you say MI six, I think Mission Impossible six. Oh. Every time you say that, <laughs> no. So SAS is like the Secret Air Service. That's a that's a, a a branch of the British military. Now, obviously, in James Bond canon, Bond is a part of the British Navy. He's he's an officer in the Navy. He's not now in this film. Mason's character is a captain from the SAS and an MI six operative. So. But in the again in this YouTube video, that guy kind of dispels that theory by saying, "Okay, well, if he's supposed to be James Bond, why don't they just call him James Bond or even James something else last mm. name?" Well, the theory obviously is that James Bond throughout all the Connery's movies, he's been shown many times to have aliases. Like he has separate passports, he has different code names when he has to go to different countries. So the theory obviously he's could James be, born. yeah, the theory could be that John Mason could be like his you know American alias, mm. right? And that's the name he obviously is under when he got arrested by the American government, and that's why everybody just calls him that in the movie, right? Um, but also too, it's just like the fact that like, yeah, like Sean Connery kicks so much butt in this film. It's hard not to, even will, even if you just in your head want to make it a fantasy, which I do now I'm fully on board <laughs> with this. I want to believe this is James Bond out there snapping necks and shooting people and just, yeah, be, and being kind of crude because he does, obviously James Bond doesn't swear in the old Connery movies, but in this movie he drops a lot of, a lot of F-bombs and, um, but I don't know. It's just, and his, his rapport in the movie with Nicolas Cage is so great. Um, you know, I'm sure at the time it was very, it was a very odd pairing. I feel would have thought, I don't know if that's going to work together, those two, but it definitely, it's amazing, uh, the chemistry they have together. And that's not even to say, besides those two, like like Connery is a large part of why I love the film so much. Nicholas Cage is great in it too, but for me, Connery's character is amazing, even before what I just detailed that whole analysis stuff about Bond, the Bond theory. But, um, but I also love the movie because even I, so it's funny as I watched the movie as I've grown up I've gone through different stages of appreciation for it when you're younger like again so this movie came out in 96 I would have been nine at the time I can't remember if I watched it right when it came out I possibly did because I don't my parents were very lax on what I could or couldn't I, I didn't I wasn't censored from really watching anything at a young age especially not violence I was open to watching anything so I may have very well watched it when I was nine or ten on VHS I'm sure I definitely started watching it when I was in my middle school or high school years for sure so, but even at a younger age, obviously I appreciated the action of the film. The action was probably what drew me in because it was amazing. Um, even nowadays, the action scenes really, they hold up really well. Like there's very, very few amounts of CGI in the film. Most of these stunts are practical. Um, so I appreciate that. Obviously now from an older perspective, when you're younger, everything just looks so cool. I mean, it's t- in typical, I mean, this is early Michael Bay. So for those that don't know, when Michael, as Michael Bay's career evolved, he definitely grew a, uh, a large fondness for explosions. He loves his explosions. This is this was even anybody who watched South Park, they specifically made fun of him on an episode where everything was just exploding for no reason because it's Michael Bay. But you know his action scenes are fun. Um, but uh, so like I said, as I grew older though, I began to appreciate different aspects of the film. Like again, there there are some points in the film that as a younger viewer that you might you might find boring, where you know obviously there's no action when the characters are just talking and like the plot is not confusing at all. The plot is very straightforward. There's not really any huge twists or reveals. Um, so the, thing, the thing I love about the villain in the film, uh, played by Ed Harris, his name is, well, they, they refer to him as General Humble. I think his name is like Francis Humble in the film. He, so he's a, he's a you know, decorated, they, they make a point at, early in the film when he sort of like takes, takes, ho- takes a hostage situation out of a child. That's what drives most of the film is there's these hostages on the island, or there's a tour group on the island because it's like a tourist attraction and him and a group of soldiers take the place hostage. They have like, I don't know, 81 hostages, I think, or something like that. And their plan is to use these 
gas like gas rockets it's a new like poison gas thing it was just invented for the film it's not only it's practical or anything at least it wasn't back in the 90s but um his his team of uh soldiers mercenaries you want to call them. they take the, they take the island of alcatraz hostage with all these rockets and they threaten to shoot the rockets at san francisco and kill millions of people if the government doesn't pay them i think it was like a hundred is it a hundred i think it was a hundred million i think they called it an even hundred million is what they were asking for for the ransom and and the point of it what now the point of it this is where i agree the appreciation when i was older and i pay more attention to the dialogue is um he wasn't you know just doing this for the kids he wasn't just taking the cash and you know going to get rich somewhere else he he was he, his idea was he the 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 general, the bad guy in the film, if you want to call him that, he wanted to give the money that he was going to get, give most of the money anyway, to the families of soldiers that had died under his command when he did all these special ops missions in like Vietnam and China and other places that they mentioned in the film over his career. Because what he's saying happened is when his soldiers were undercover doing these special missions and they would die in the missions, um, the families of the, the dead soldiers would be, you know, told stories, fairy tales, you would call them, about what happened to them, because obviously they can't disclose that they were on special ops missions, so the families would be told lies about what happened, how they died, but then the families would be denied compensation, like denied pension, because, you know, apparently the soldier died doing something, you know, illegal or off-mission is what they would classify it as, so in, in Hummel's mind, he's trying to get this money, he wants to get, get this money to give it to the families of the soldiers that he feels were wronged, and the rest of the money he was just going to just going to distribute to the soldiers that are working with him on this mission, so they could all get like a million dollars and go live somewhere in a non-extradition country. So, like I said, it's it's the first time, even when I was younger, like in middle school and stuff, where I felt empathetic with a villain to almost to the point where I was like, I can see where this guy's coming from. And he's not really, even though obviously on the surface his intentions look bad. I mean, he's taking a bunch of people hostage. He's threatening to kill millions with with a gas rocket attack on San Francisco. But you know, and this is my minor. I'm going to mention some minor spoilers here again. The movie's somewhat. 30 not 30 years old yeah i can't do math right now it's not 30 years old it's 25 years old i think the movie's 25 years old so if you haven't seen it by now i mean get on it is my recommendation but minor spoilers here Hummel doesn't actually kill any civilians in the film like he, he they do shoot a rocket at san francisco but it's kind of like a bluff like he reroutes the target he reroutes the missile into the ocean and um because Hummel's intention all along was never to kill any civilians he was just trying to intimidate the government and giving them the 100 million and then he was just gonna like you know let the hostages go he never intended to kill anybody especially civilians but the problem is some of the mercenaries on his team who are very power hungry and obviously want the money. They sort of overthrow him near the end of the film. And then, you know, that's where the whole third act comes in. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I love how he's just a very empathetic villain. And, um, you know, even towards the end of the film, when the other soldiers turn on him, you just feel so bad for him because like, yeah, obviously again, he's done something obviously illegal and he would have been arrested if he, you know, if he didn't get away with it. But, you know, his intentions, I thought were, it was, I thought it was very, just a very interesting, complex character, and it was something that you didn't see a lot of in '90s action films. A lot of those villains back then were very one-note, stereotypical. You know, I'm a bad guy, and I'm gonna die at the end of the film, and good guys are gonna win. You know, that was your typical '90s villain. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just the movie to me also is it's probably about two hours, maybe a little more than two hours, two hours ten minutes. I think it's really well paced. Um, like I said, obviously, when you're a younger viewer, there's a little bit of downtime in between the action scenes. When you're older, I think the whole plot is just is captivating and from start to finish. And like I said, uh, you know, because in, in any given scene, I mean, I guess most of the film, you're seeing Nicolas Cage's character. And obviously towards the, I don't know, I'd say after the first third of the film when him and Connery's character hook up for the plot, their d- dynamic together is amazing. And then you know, and then but even when it flashed, then even when you, you when you leave their perspective, when you go over to what's happening in Alcatraz with Hummel and the rest of his soldiers, I, I find all that very interesting and engaging too. So just different character perspectives, I find the whole thing comes together really well. And it's the kind of film that you don't see a lot of anymore. Like when it comes to action films nowadays, 
you know, you have obviously your, your Mission Impossibles, you have, um, but, you know, like everything's a franchise nowadays. You don't get one-off action movies like this anymore. And you don't get those weird pairings. I mean, I guess, I mean, I wouldn't consider it a weird pairing, but if you want to talk about a pairing in a recent action film that I thought worked really well, obviously from a comedic and action standpoint, it would have been like the Hitman's Bodyguard when you had Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson together. That was really interesting. But yeah, you don't get, I don't know, movies like this, you just don't see anymore. And and uh, like I said, I think it's really unfortunate that I wish Michael Bay would do more movies like this. I think when he's a restrained director, he can be very good with stuff like this. Unfortunately, he went on a sort of a downward trajectory after Transformers happened. He made Transformers heaven. He did bad. Right. Transformers 2 was definitely where it went wrong. But for the early part of his career, he was great. Like He mostly started out working on commercials and music videos, and that caught the attention of some Hollywood producers. They let him do Bad Boys in 95. That was with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. That movie was great. Then he does The Rock which was amazing. Like cr- critics were sort of iffy on it, but the, bo- the public loved it. Box office, it killed it. It made a ton of money. Then he did Armageddon in 1998. And that was the Bruce Willis sort of like into the world movie, <laughs> uh, which was also, I thought pretty, a pretty great film. Um, he had his first little kind of stumble in 2001. I think it was when he did Pearl Harbor. That was an okay. F- the problem is that movie was just really bloated. That he has some stupid love triangle thing going on with like Ben Affleck's character in that movie. That Pearl Harbor is a mess outside of the action scenes. Um, but then he kind of got back to form a bit when he did obviously Bad Boys 2 because he brought, you know, those that cast together again for Bad Boys 2, which is fun. And then even like The Island in 05 was a decent sci-fi action film like Ewan McGregor, Scarlett Johansson. That was kind of a cool film. And then obviously Transformers in 07 is probably like obviously his most profitable film because Transformers just destroyed the box office. Everybody loved it. But then unfortunately he made, what was it? I think there was five Transformers movies altogether that he did. He did all of them. He directed all of them. Um, and yeah, it's where, like you mentioned, Transformers 2 is when it started to go wrong. And I think he definitely got away from the story and character aspects that were good in his better films. And everything obviously was all about CGI and just big budget, big big spectacle on the scene, you know. Did he do Bumblebee also? No, he didn't do the Bumblebee movie. That was separate. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, it's a case where he's, he's tried to do a couple of smaller action films in the last, what was it, 10 years. He did Pain, Pain and Gain. That was the one with Mark Wahlberg and... Dwayne Johnson, that was okay. That was based on a true story, sort of an action, dark, dark comedy, if you want to call it that. Um, they did the uh, military, like another true story military drama one, I think, called Thirteen Hours, uh, about Benghazi. Um, but yeah, I think he's got another. Interestingly, I looked up his Wikipedia earlier. Michael Bay, he's got a movie apparently in the works. I'm not sure if it's filming yet or if it's just in production, but it's supposed to be coming out. I think next year. It sounds like a straight to Netflix type thing. Um, but it has Jake Gyllenhaal in it in like an action role. So I'm not kind of curious about that now. Cause I'm like, okay, if you can do like a small budget action film with a good actor like that, maybe you can get my attention again. Cause he did, he, I forgot he did do that one a couple years ago, Michael Bay. He did that one that came on Netflix with Ryan Reynolds. I think it was in 2019 it's called six underground, uh, but a bunch of like, you know, soldier, ex soldiers and stuff who got together on a, on a mission. And know, that was an okay film. That was one of those, you know, you watch it once on Netflix and you're done with the kind of movies, but Again, he brought the action in a way that he hadn't done in, in years outside of the, the Transformers stuff, right? So I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just I want to see more action movies like this nowadays, and it, it's rare. You're not going to see it uh, because that's just, I guess, not what that's not what Hollywood wants to do anymore. I guess it's the public right now, which is all about, you know, superheroes with the Marvel stuff or, you know, franchises like obviously Mission Impossible. You know, James Bond is still going, obviously. Yeah. Fast and Furious is a good example of another franchise that won't go away. <laughs> Even though I kind of still want to watch a new one. And my, my my appetite for Fast and Furious has died a lot, probably since like the sixth one. I'm starting to go downhill on those ones. So, but yeah. Anyway, I have spoken a lot. Do you have any input uh, about 
Uh, how about okay? How about this? Can you think of a movie that you and we'll pose this question in our email too for the for the listeners this week? Can you think of a movie that you watched when you were younger? Could be a movie from the '90s or early 2000s, like whatever your age is. Any, a movie you watched? Let's just say something you watched like over 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. That you know you have a different outlook on it when you watch it when you rewatch it now. Either something you've appreciated a different aspect of at, at an older age. Maybe you've you know like I say maybe you've appreciated a character or a screenplay more than just the what you're seeing on the screen visually or you know or or is there a movie that you've rewatched recently and you've had the opposite reaction to where you loved it when you were a kid and now you don't like it anymore because hmm. you know so maybe the Truman show is one you appreciate more or that you don't I, like which way you I want think on I that? appreciate oh. more okay I think when I first watched it I love the concept and I think as I've watched it a couple times over the years I've been more empathetic <laughs> where I didn't think I had that feeling before or something but yeah I'm I get sadder every time I watch that maybe just I'm old but it's, I, good. it's a good example yeah. and I, I would say another Jim Carrey movie that I don't like anymore that I used to love is The Mask and why is that I watched it like a billion times when I was a kid but now it's just it's old and bad and I don't want to watch it anymore. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned Jim Carrey because I'll just say I when I was younger I like I guess again this is you're talking mid 90s here I loved the Ace Ventura films. I see I never watched them. I have a hard time rewatching them nowadays. Well Ace Ventura 1 is problematic for a number of reasons. It's very misogynistic in today's mm. culture and the main punchline sort of revolves around uh, like the the main female character in the first Ace Ventura film for those who don't remember haven't watched a long time she's a she's a man disguised as a woman like she, oh. and you know the way they handle that in the film is very 90s let's just say yeah I was you know? say, it's not gonna fly it's not gonna be very days. politically correct nowadays um and he's ventura too even uh oh. when he's in africa or whatever i think has got a lot of probably things people wouldn't like nowadays but <laughs> yeah i was just thinking i was re- we were re-watching gilmore girls what earlier last year or whatever and a lot of the stuff even that was talked about in the early 2000s in those shows would not fly these days too it's very times have changed <laughs> yeah yeah, I think it's fair to say for a lot of, especially comedies from like the 80s and 90s, mm. a lot of that stuff maybe doesn't hold up anymore nowadays. But that's not, I mean, there, there's obviously some exceptions to the rule. Like, I still love some of the old, uh, I think it's from, yeah, it's from the 80s. I was going to say like 87 or something. Remember that, the one with Steve Martin and John Candy, uh, Planes, Planes, Trains, Trains Automobiles? That movie still holds up amazingly, I think. I <laughs> I've only watched it movie. once. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, I like your example, Truman Show. It's a, I haven't seen the Truman Show in years, actually. I, I probably would appreciate it much more on a rewatch, I think, mm-hmm. now. Um, but yeah, like I said, if, you're, if anyone doesn't remember, I'm going to pose that question again for if anyone wants to email us for next week's episode. Uh, a, mo- a movie that you've, um, that you know, you watched when you were younger, in your youth or your teens, let's call it, and you've either rewatched it recently and you had either a, a more positive or a negative reaction to it compared to what you, what you remember about it or how your tastes have changed, I guess, you know, we'll put it that way. So love to hear your input. And uh, sorry, one more time, I just want to give that shout out to, um, to that uh Pentex Productions. Sorry, yeah, Pentex Productions is the name of that YouTube channel. I really encourage you to check it out. I loved his. I loved his. He's got a good voice too. I mean, watching a YouTube. <laughs> if you're gonna watch a 20 minute YouTube video, where you know, like he obviously he has video clips in there. You're not just watching like a static stream when he's talking or anything. But his voice is is obviously you know a voice goes a long way to 
being engaged in something. Mm-hmm. So I think he has a good voice for for the content. I love the Cinema Sins guy's voice. Yeah, he's a winner. But what I find really interesting too is like it's see, I'm not, I'm not the only one. This video has blown up over the last few days. Like his his mm. analysis of the Rock here because he says before this video came out, he had 130 subscribers on his channel. So obviously you know newer channel trying to get publicity. He had 130 subscribers since this video has gone out. Now he's up to. Um, Four and a half thousand subscribers. Whoa! Like this, this video has been out for almost a week now, and it already already has two hundred thirty-two thousand views. And how and, many dislikes? Uh, thirteen thousand, <laughs> thirteen thousand likes, two hundred twenty-five dislikes. Oh. Don't know why you dislike it, but he just <laughs> his, the, the title, the title of the film too. In case you can't find the channel name for some description, or if, if, if for some reason you can't find the channel name when you're searching, the the title of his film or title of his video is just called the rock is definitely a james bond movie oh, <laughs> i love well, how i love how assertive he is about yeah. it yeah but like i said he does he does a lot of research and he, he'll show you he has charts he shows like the timeline how they how the timelines match up with bond in this film and i think it's very interesting even if you don't want to believe it that's fine you can take the rock for what it is it's still a great film and a great screenplay but this extra bit of analysis theory has really made me appreciate and love it even more so um any final thoughts I've never watched The Rock. <laughs> I'm getting divorced now. <laughs> but you've definitely listened to me watch it a bunch of times, right? I heard you listening to it the other day and I closed my door. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. As always, we appreciate your support. Hope you enjoyed the show tonight. I keep saying show, but okay. Yeah, well, we'll call it a show, whatever podcast hope you enjoyed the content tonight and uh next week will be uh i don't have a specific thing I, okay i'll put it this way this isn't gonna be next week but in the near future i have mentioned this on the podcast probably a few times before what have i always said is my what do i think is the best year of cinema 2007 2007 i'm gonna start doing an analysis my, my point my plan is from let's say end of june to the end of the year I want to do a full analysis on 07. I'm going to have to split it up over probably like five or six podcasts because there's so many good films that year. And I want to talk about each one, probably like three per podcast in detail. You know what I mean? So okay. we, I will say not next week. Next week, I'll do something else, sports video game related. But by the end of the month, look forward to me getting into the year of 07, which I consider one of the best years, one of the best years ever. Definitely one of the best years in the last like 30 years of cinema. More Transformers. That'll be mentioned, but that's not <laughs> definitely that's not one of the ones I'd even put in my top ten that year. Probably like that's how strong of a year 07 was. Shrek. Was that 07? Three. Oh, oh God, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you're already lo- Shrek two. You're already starting to lose me a bit. Um, Shrek three, definitely not. Uh, he has puss in boots. Gosh, yeah, and he got his own movie. How that turned out? I don't know. I haven't seen, I haven't seen it either. But uh, anyways. <laughs> Okay, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back same time next week. Bye.